0: you crazy you crazy you're on tour like hard yeah
1: Ch- Chappelle asked me he said yo when you stop touring i said when i die really can me somebody, somebody asked me when do comedians retire comedians don't retire they don't they just die <laughs> and i'm not saying that in a morbid way but like if you think about it every time you hear of a comedian's death the last thing you heard was like he was just on stage last week right because that's like our last outlet to maintain our sanity. That's our last outlet to get away from our significant others. Others, that's our last outlet when we when we enraged with something. Like that's just it. And well so you're gonna get it, but on stage. We don't can still in stand-up comedy. It's like white folks fishing. Okay, I'll just get closer. It's like it's just like white folks fishing. White folks don't really have to get up that early to fish, but it's like if I get away from my wife at five o'clock in the morning and that's what we're gonna do. I think fish don't have a time they really sleep. You know, but what is my excuse? What 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 sport can get me out of this damn house before the sun comes up? I and that's fishing.
0: I think for a lot of performers the confidence to go up on stage and crush it like that is really hard to find. I mean, yeah,
1: you you're right. It's hard to find the people that Always want to crush it. You have. <clears throat> it's easy to find people that can go on stage just for a paycheck. Right. Or just like, okay, I have to do this. My, my contract says I have to do it. But for somebody to want to go up like each and every night and murder a room, yeah. that's a different breed.
0: So how do you do that?
1: I don't know. I think that's just something that's in different people. I do it because I've been doing it. Over 24 years, I didn't want to say 25, it sounds so old. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like every every year, every year I ch- want to be better. Yeah, You know, and again, like you have people that you get to a certain point, you got certain times in your career when you were really excited about being really good. Yeah. Then you get to a point where you become really good and then you're excited about the money that you make. Yeah. And sometimes when you get excited about the money you make and you confuse with being really good, your comedy gets kind of stale. It's, it's kind of bland, but... Who, uh, who are you to tell someone that they still make a lot of money, whether the show is good or bad? You know, with me, I just, it's just something that's, I don't know, I just challenge myself. Like, I always want to do better. Every show, I'm talking about over 24 years, every show, every show I've gone on stage, I always try my best to just gut a room out.
0: I mean, getting better, wh- how is that accomplished as a comedian? I
1: think as a comedian, getting better, you get older. I think your content, your point of view, things that you're talking about, I think is um <clears throat> I think it's kind of uh kind of f- f-
0: f- screwed up. Like as you if get wiser,
1: you get wiser, you get different experiences. You know what I'm saying? Like I think a comic that's uh started in their 20s and then like late 40s talking about the exact same things they talked about at the beginning of their career, they haven't had any growth. Right. I think Muhammad Ali had that quote he said um a person that thinks the same after 30 years something like a person that speaks looks at life the same way after 30 years has wasted 30 years of their life right right you know what i'm saying and i think that can apply to great comics not everybody and then nowadays you don't even have to be a great comic to be successful in this business
0: well that's a shame it's on it's on it's a shame but then do you want to call out any names <laughs> no, I don't want to call out any names. I don't know to call Who's call, not funny I, I don't call, a career out I don't want to call any
1: names, people, all of those followers on Instagram. <laughs> Dane Cook. No, no, you're not no I <laughs> One thing I can say about, I, one thing I say about Dane Cook, Dane Cook had a point, like, you, I think you have like five or ten years in your career where you make probably the most money you're ever going to make in your career. Yeah. And Dane C- Cook was fortunate enough that he came through during the My, MySpace era, and he took complete advantage of his celebrity from that and, and and not a defense or anything because Dane Cook is still f- um, funny but even him being a multimillionaire millionaire probably got everything he ever wanted in life you know I, I live in LA and in New York and I still see him out in the clubs working on his craft and sometimes I'm saying to myself damn don't you got enough money <laughs> you know what I mean like what you gonna do what are you gonna to tour with it or whatever but you know he's he's made a name for us. So. and then the thing about it is something in comedy now like with the age of social media and everybody wants people to have followers and stuff like It's easier now to put yourself on than when I first started. When I first started, it was word of mouth. You had you had flyers. You knew you you thought you were gonna have a good show. When you got that, oh, I got five thousand flyers.
0: So if you want to put yourself on now, what do you do?
1: Well, if you want to put yourself on now, you still first off anything you got to have a skill set. You got to be good at something. But now, like these now you got the younger guys that's coming up now that's just getting a social media presence and there's nothing wrong with that because that's with the networks and everything they're going for those people. Now, you know, you got somebody that's equally talented, you know, what I mean, that has a hundred thousand followers, and then you have another person that has 3 million followers. And then 100,000 do be funnier, but when you're looking at money and advertisers and who has a built-in audience and how we get them to see what our product is instantly, then they're going to go with the social media people. And like a lot of older guys, I consider myself a, a seasoned comment. I don't want to say older, but it's a lot of frustration with like guys that I started with. They have beef with like some of the younger guys, but I'm like, you can't be upset with that because now they don't have to wait for a, a network showcase they don't have to worry for worry, wait for a diversity showcase they can actually get in front of their laptop get on their phone and they can start building a fan base from that Uh perfect example Jess hilarious i just worked with her she's a, a youtube sensation but she went from i remember years ago maybe a couple years ago she hit me on a um, dm and gave asked me like what what do you what advice do you give a new comic trying to get into the game i was like don't ask for advice. Your best teacher <laughs> is going to be the microphone and your experiences on stage. You know what I'm saying? And she
0: and I've seen her yeah, just get up there. Just, just have to do it. It's no, it's no way of, like people. People. She can't get. She can't skip the steps by getting it from you. Getting advice and wisdom from you. You she can't skip, go up there and fail and then succeed.
1: Yeah, you have to. Like you, you anything. Some of your best shows come from after you have your worst shows. You know what I'm saying? It's like no way to duck it. It's going to bite you sooner or later.
0: Do you sometimes still like go out there and die or have a bad show? No. I have a bad situation. What does that mean?
1: Um, Might have misread my audience. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I'll give you an example. Um, This was uh maybe three months ago and I was like, a little stressed out and not too feeling too good about some things. And I went to this place in Harlem, Savannah's, I think it is. And they had a... um. It was a rainy day, a, blur, a snowy day. And I went out and I said, let me go get a cocktail and sing uh, 99 bottles of beer on the wall or something like that. And it just so happened they were having an open mic and it was open mic. It was supposed to be like a jam session. But the only person in the band that showed up was the drummer. So I'm feeling like, I'm looking at him like struggling, like, yo, if anybody want to perform and help me out. And, you know, the artist at me was like, just let me go help this dude up. You know what I mean? No announcement. You seen him on Chappelle's the wire or anything. I was like, I just walked on stage and this one, I was uh, doing some controversial material that uh, Harvey Weinstein and his antics were part of it. And I went up there and I just started. I didn't <laughs> Wait, get into did the you, audience. What
0: would you say about Harvey?
1: No, um, I didn't say. Um, I think I said <laughs> something about everybody's being accused. I say I know it's only a matter of time before I get accused. I was like, you know, I Google her every morning, like new accuser. As long as my name don't show up, I'm like, I'm free for another week. <laughs> so I was trying to get a sense of the audience. And then I didn't I I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to the audience. <clears throat> and I saw it was two females at this table. It was two females at this table. It was two more females at this table. And then after, once I went in and I made a bad decision on the stories I wanted to tell, I could just see that I was right in the middle of the Me Too movement. <laughs> <laughs> yo when you talk about hurting my feelings bro i mean i mean and it was like it was nothing i could do because nobody was on my side right it's one thing you could build people to defend you like if they like yeah you gotta shut up over but everybody was like man they hurt they hit me with the worst thing you could ever tell a comedian i think the thing that set um the guy from sound fit off um what's his name
0: yeah michael richards
1: I think the, really the phrase that set Michael Rich off, they said, you're not funny. And when the comedian hears you're not funny, it just feels like you're in just a time warp. It's slow motion. You're like, after 24 years, you're trying to say I'm not funny? And there was nothing I could do. They was like, boo, get him out of here. You're a has-been. But I did, on the way out, I did text. She, this girl said, you're a has-been. I was like, you never will. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and it was, it was ugly. It was ugly. And I, I don't, I think after you've been doing it for a while- You can have bad sets, but if you continue to have bad sets the same way, if you bomb the same way, you're not learning anything. Right. But then after you've been doing it for a while, you have so many experiences and you have so it's it's hardly ever going to be a situation that you can't deal with because you've seen it before. But
0: you have like, you have like, you know, a hundred stories and jokes in your mind and you come out and you sort of read the audience and say, okay, this number six Twelve and eighteen is gonna crush with them because they're younger or older or black or you know, mixed you, or whatever. You, you,
1: you know you can kinda cater to your audience. I, I'm one to believe like people ask me, Donnell, do you use the same material for a white audience to do a black audience? If you have type of material that only appeals to one audience, then you're cutting yourself off. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I really try to find if it's something that I know that like you know, you you'll I'll, you'll have the the basis of your set. But then if you're like like you say, if you're in an audience and it's all teenagers, you're gonna probably try to, you know, try to make them more comfortable and not do a joke maybe that you would do for like an eighty year old or something like that. It's all like like doing up is like being a quarterback and you never know when you have to make an audible. You know, you could go out there on one with, with one thought in mind and then it doesn't go the way you want and you got you gotta be able to switch the gear
0: So you go out in, let's say, Tulsa and you tell the first joke. And it doesn't hit. And so then you're thinking, okay, the bit about that was Hollywood-ish didn't work or the Chappelle bit didn't work. Let me go over here to do something more. I'll it, switch
1: it up. Like, don't, uh, it,
0: like what is the thought process if, if like, my, the first joke doesn't work? Then what do you think? If, if
1: the first jokes don't work, the first thing I'd say, that hardly ever happens for me. But the first joke doesn't work. The thing is, what you have to do is keep your composure because they don't know that that was the first joke that was
0: supposed to work. If they don't laugh, they don't know it was. They a don't know. Line. They
1: don't know. Like you, it can go from that could be, that could be like a a heavy punchline, or when it doesn't work, it turns into a transition and a segue <laughs> into the next thing. Sure. That sure. one joke that used to be like, bam, you like, hmm. and the
0: punchline might not work, but the tag might work. And the
1: tag might work, but it's like it's like, it's like comedy. Me, I compare it to like surfing and boxing. Surfing, you got to know when to catch a wave, when to ride it, when to pull up, everything. I'm a black guy that don't surf, but this is what I've heard. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. But you just got in boxing, you got to know what punch. Like, some nights I'll have shows where I completely knock the crowd out. It's a TKO. And some nights, it's like, I don't know who won. It got to go to the judge's scorecard. <laughs> you know, I'm at the end like Judge Smith scores at 112 to 111, 118. And you know, most brothers can't count the boxing numbers up that quick. So you wait for the ring announcer to say, and still, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did win. <laughs> who won? That was a close one. Yeah. But I think like as, as the more you do it, it's kind of you, you can in any given Sunday, any given night. You can have a bad set, but I think the more experience you get, you know how to deal with it more than anything.
0: I feel like some comics have great material, and some comics are just funny people, and they, you know, like Bernie Mac come out and say, "How you doing?" and you just start laughing. Yeah. Whereas other people have to have the jokes to make. They have it. to have the jokes, and I feel like you're like a you're like a funny experience. Like as soon as you come out, you say, like, "What's up, son?" I and I'm already a, laughing at your. I vibe. think it's a
1: with me. I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination of the things that you just said. I think I know how to deliver a good joke. I think I know how to write a good joke. And then I just think it's a certain, as a comic, it's a certain energy. When you come on stage and I and I mentor people and I help comics sometimes, I'm like, the number one uh, trait you can have being a good stand of comic is being likable. Yeah. You know, one yeah. of my closest friends, her mom told me, I used to always be nervous when her mom showed up. Because I was like, it's one thing to tell jokes for your daughter, but to tell jokes for mom. And she used to be like, Donnie, 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 she said, all you have to do is smile and you win the crowd over. You know, and I, I give that advice to any couples, if you Sometimes if you feel like you see a joke that's not really working, try smiling and see how people will warm up to you even more. Than people love it when they can engage somebody that's feel good or give the impression that they feel good. Because with comedy, even when you're dealing with painful stuff on the inside, your, your exterior has to be one of having a good time. Mm. And if you're not having a good time, you have to be, you you could be angry as hell, but your jokes
0: better be hidden. <laughs> well, so how do you write a ju- uh, How do you write a good joke?
1: I don't really write jokes. I just recreate experiences that I have. You know what I'm saying? I just talk them out. Like, um,
0: Are you I, exaggerating? Or are you, oh yeah,
1: exaggerate, exaggerate. But it.
0: you take a real life experience and you kind of spin it.
1: And I, I take a real life experience, continue to talk about it. And for, with me, if it, it finds punchlines, you know, like I'm, I think I'm more of a storyteller that has a quick witted jabbing every once in a while.
0: Okay. Um,
1: like I'm a I'm a new dad.
0: You're a new dad. I'm
1: a new dad. How but, old? And that really new dad. I'm an older dude with a new baby. How, There's old? Nothing, How old? My son. Yeah. He's two and a half years old. And before you even crack your jokes, I know all my friends' kids are a lot older than my son. Because when I play at my son's first birthday party, I call one of my buddies and I'm like, Yo. You think your son can come to my son's first birthday party, and he was like, "If he can get off work, dude." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a real story that I talked about. That really happened, and the joke, yeah, it really happened, and the jokes really write themselves. You know, <laughs> I'm already, I'm prepared right now. Being an older dad, I'm prepared for the antics on the playground. I know the kids are gonna come up to me like, "Hey, grandpa," and I'm be like, "Yo, I'm his father." Get the hell. But I'm gonna be as savage as those kids. I'm gonna be like, "Well, at least he knows his dad." <laughs> How, uh, and we'll see how quick we'll see how quick that playground shuts up when I start hitting you with that single mom life. When <laughs> I no co-parents in life, you'll feel it then.
0: You know? So 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 something ha- is it that something happens in real life? I mean, is is the comedy mind always on the filter? Like, is that funny? Is that funny? It's Can
1: always I- a true comic in anything in life. He's thinking about the funny. The person that breathes it, lives it. you think about
0: the funny. So when you go to Starbucks, you're looking for I'm
1: not looking for it. I'm I'm not looking for the joke, but I'm open for it. I'm open for a real life story. You know what I'm saying? Like even my, my my dad passed a couple months ago.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. To hear and that a lot
1: of, of times people find like you you don't go looking for humor in funerals or anything like that, but in funerals there's some funny things there.
0: Oh hell. And
1: yeah. my dad was a player and I knew that we went to his viewing the day before and I knew the day of the funeral it was going to be out of control cuz all I kept hearing women saying was like who is she? <laughs> who was she who was that one i was like oh you better get ready for tomorrow because it's going down and i had no idea that side chicks go to funerals <laughs> and not only have a voice and i realized after eight women went there to speak back to back and claiming years they was dating my dad i was like you know it was a dark situation but how can you not see the humor in that situation
0: Man, my dad just passed like uh, a month ago too. Man, yeah. it will knock you it's in the tough, head.
1: It's tough, man. It's tough, and like it's and I think with my dad passing, like I, you know, I had my kid later in life, but with him passing, it really inspired me to want to be an even better dad because one of the things that you know I feel sorry about is like I don't, I don't have a ton of memories with my dad. Mm. My dad was a street dude, he was in and out in prison. He loved all his kids. He, it was I'm not I'm not bad mouthing him or anything like that, but he chose, I tell people, he chose a lifestyle that didn't give him the opportunity to spend as much time as he wanted with all of his kids.
0: How many kids are there?
1: Nine. What number are you? I'm number four. Okay. And and I'm I'm number four. How many f- moms? I'm number four. Uh <clears throat> seven wow yeah and I it was when we were in the hospital I was said to myself and this might be a little too harsh for some people I was looking around in the, in the, in the, in the visit room with all those kids and I was like dang my father had a lot of bitches right <laughs> and then I realized it took <clears throat> me 35 year, years to realize my mother was one of those right you know? <laughs> Because you don't want to think of your mom as that. But when I looked at those numbers, I'm like, well, everybody had the same eyes. But one thing I could say is that it <laughs> was important. Yeah, that was his trait. One thing I said, it was important for my dad for all of his kids to know each other. And we grew up, we didn't grow up like not knowing who our other siblings were. We grew up knowing who who each other was. And we had a great relationship, even until his passing.
0: So when you, and you, even in the funeral mode, even in the funeral room, you are... Open to the funny.
1: I'm open to the funny because that's what I am. You know, like I spoke at the eulogy, and I I know this kind of crazy. I damn it, got a standing ovation. <laughs> and my father's friends were so gangster, so hustlers. One of them said, "Man, Donnell, I, I ain't trying to be disrespectful, but man, you had them goddamn jokes, bro. I started to charge twenty dollars to get in." What did you I tell? Like,
0: what are the jokes you said about your dad?
1: I didn't really tell. I just I just told shared experiences. Yeah. You know, I shared the experience, and it's been, like, troubling to me because since they uh, announced uh, the Toys R Us is going out of business, which is so traumatic for a dude over 40, like, it's like, how could that ever happen? And I told a story how my mom used to want to go to take us to the Goodwill to get clothes. I mean to get toys, because you know she didn't have a lot of money, and my dad was so in and out. She couldn't go just blow money at toys R us, so she would take it to Goodwill. But when my dad was absent, when he came back, and you know when you absent out of your kid's life for a while, when you come back, you can't come back with just I love you for a kid. You got to come back with a toys on us visit. So <laughs> right, And I right, talked right, about right. how I used to tell my mother, straighten your face up. Dad got a bankroll right now. You right. Know? I just shared some experiences that I had with him, and it's just funny. It's something funny. Anything in life is always a, a, a humorous undertone, but who can go dig it out and find it?
0: We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is is elizabeth the first elizabeth the first the podcast wherever you listen
0: i know i mean i felt a lot of pressure a good pressure going up to do the eulogy because like you know there's only two of us but like i'm the, the famous kid they all know me you right. know we're professional talkers right so you know we're professional writers so you gotta bring it like not
1: only i gotta bring it like it was so funny because one of his grandkids like he wasn't supposed to speak, right? So he sitting beside me. He was like, I think I wanna go up. I wanna go, I wanna say something. I was like, well, do they know that? Not saying you can't, like, if you're not on the list, you can't do it. I was like, she's a signal of attention. So his name Donzel. So he went up, cause nobody I know this sounds crazy. Nobody wanted to go behind me. Of course. They were like, Of course. So he went in front of me. He was like, I ain't going behind you. I was like, that that makes sense. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you, this dude went up there and destroyed. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was there ready to take some water, take a little. I was about to do some push-ups and get ready because he, he brought it. And he brought it because he did the same thing that I had planned on doing. Tell some real. My dad did so much comedy about his life that, you know, and I don't think that when I tell people, you know, my dad, when I'm to stage, I said my dad just passed away. Everybody's like, oh, I'm like, no, no reason to feel that like, like that because when somebody passes then that's, it don't always have to be so somber. You know what I'm saying? You're there to celebrate somebody's life.
0: Well, when you've been around on earth for a long time, my father was 86. How old was your my dad? dad was
1: 73.
0: Yeah. So he he had a lot of trips. He, he had, had a lot of trip, fun. And then you know,
1: at the end of the day, bro, at the end of the day, I tell people, the only thing we guarantee, when we're born, we have our born day, and then we have that dash in the middle, and then we have our expiration date. And at the end of the day, what is what did you do with your dash? When Charlie Murphy passed away, I was doing a lot of radio interviews and the point people kept making he was so young i was like he was so he was young but everybody's not going to live to 100 right like what's the sense of living to 100 where you don't have no life experiences no passports never travel don't do a lot of things and and, and charlie he did his dash and i didn't encourage anybody you never know when your time is going to come so every day you should be doing your dash and live life to the fullest
0: so just broader how do you know something is funny
1: I don't for me, if if I laugh out loud, I know it's funny. Right. And if certain things are just just so so obvious. You know, just like repeating what you just saw. But if I laugh on the inside and I'm like my mo, like if I'm if I see a situation and I say, Oh shit, that's funny. Oh shit, that's funny. If I say that twice, it's gonna be a funny joke. But you never you, you know it's funny to you. And I think if it's funny to you, then your energy is gonna make it funny.
0: So is it about your taste? Like you like there's nothing more concrete that you could say, you know, like when when when, when you see this thing, you know it's gonna be funny.
1: You know, I just I think after doing it so while I just have a of sense of what's gonna be funny.
0: I mean I, so here's what I'm trying to get at. The average person listening to this who would like to be funnier at the office? Funnier with the guys. He's not a comic, but he looks up to you. Is like, damn, that guy. What he just says hello and it's funny. Right. Like, how do I? How do I get to just be a little funnier? Just but in my people social like that. Group? That's
1: like they, like if you if you if you're if you have an office job and you're seeking. The performance level level for your office is not it's <laughs> no. a reason. It's a reason why you have that job and you're not on stage. You no, know? no, just but no, no doubt, be no doubt, no. Doubt. Like be like be your, It's The only thing you can do is be yourself. When I mentor people, and I always say, like if you train to be a stand-up, always tell you first start, you should have somebody you draw energy from. So I always ask people like, Who told you you were funny? And they're like my mom almost told me I was funny. Then that's the person you should talk to. And that's the person you should think about this in the audience when you're there. And that's the person should inspire you. It's almost like you're telling a joke to your mom. You know, like the when I first,
0: first made you feel funny.
1: Made you feel funny. I remember one, years ago, before I started doing stand up, I remember we were up late at night, me and my mom. And she told me, she said, Boy, don't tell me another funny thing, another joke, unless you're going to make some money doing it. Unless you're gonna make some money doing
0: it, because mm.
1: she was basically she was telling me the level of just performing for your family or making me laugh, you've surpassed that. It's time to take it to a different different platform. How old were you? I think I was um like when I first started, maybe 23.
0: So you were 23 when you had that conversation with her?
1: No, I was um probably like 21 because I didn't I didn't do it immediately after that, but it did make me wonder what if.
0: But she kind of, yeah, she gave you the, the, the real thought of, like, you could be a professional. Go.
1: You could do it. And, like, you know, like, there's one thing, like, I'm not saying anybody be funny at a, at a family reunion and stuff like that. But you got a built-in audience. If you're older, you got seniors, you older, younger people, so they got to laugh. <laughs> if you got the most money in the family, they're going to laugh because they don't want you to cut them <laughs> off. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> it's different stages of it, you know, different stages.
0: But, you know, I mean, it, it can be hard. To make people who are close to you laugh sometimes it's easier to make strangers laugh in a way,
1: yeah, that's what it um but you still got that 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 safety you still have that safety net, you know what I mean it's like family is one thing, but strangers just looking at you like what the hell are you talking about there's no comeback, and you probably never see them again. With family, you can redeem yourself. If you bomb this Thanksgiving, you like see you in two thousand nineteen. <laughs> you know that's that's going to be my next show. I see you Christmas. You know you get another opportunity to win.
0: But when you go up, it's not just a joke. You got to do a whole routine. It's got to make sense, and, and as like a thematic thing. And it's got to have. There's a rhythm to comedy, and I can hear it, but I don't know how to describe it. I know that you guys are up there. they say in comedy,
1: they're, they're, anybody. Number one thing, they say timing is everything. Yeah. You know, and timing comes from listening to your audience. And you have different different levels of listening. Like if you're performing for like 30 people, then you're performing for five hundred to five thousand. The jokes may be the same, but it's a different timing. Like if you're if you're doing a comedy club where, you know, it's that instant connection, like you're only connecting with you got three rows in front of you and everybody can make eye contact with you everybody can see if you got um Cheetos in your beard or whatever and then you got those venues when you're doing 5000, 10000, 20000 you could tell a joke but your timing has to slow down a little bit because that joke has to get resonate all the way way in the back if you're if you're a good comic some people go up there and they especially doing big 10000, 15000 and bah, 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 it's hard for people like Once one joke, they're uh, digesting one one joke, you're off to the next. So you got to give it enough time to marinate.
0: The bigger the crowd, the slower you have to be.
1: In some cases. Not everybody use that that rhythm, but you cheat yourself out of a lot of good laughs if you don't know where to pull up. You got to give people a chance to laugh. You got to give people a chance to appreciate what you just said. If you're doing jokes rapid fire, again, like I said, you get to the first joke, then you're on to your third joke and they just get in the first they just get in the first one. So you gotta know when to pull up.
0: So you're listening to them laugh and you let them ha ah, and right, but and it's not when it gets to zero, but no. like you wouldn't when is it like For like, me,
1: for me, like for like it's like I have to, sometimes like I'm just I'm just a machine gun. Bop <laughs> bop 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 like I'll give you an example when I open for Chappelle, when I'm on the road with Chappelle. The most I get is fifteen minutes, twenty minutes tops. So, and I'm used to doing forty-five minutes to an hour and a half on stage. So, when I open for some, I don't open for too many people. But But that's the homie. Yeah, like when I open for Chappelle, it's like when I go up, you give me fifteen minutes. I don't even really have to take a breath. I can just I'm more all cylinders. I'm coming out, pop 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 pop. But then if I got Doing 45 minutes to an hour, I might give you that heat for like 25 minutes. But at some point, you have to
0: you, you slow to, it down a little bit.
1: Yeah, you got to let them breathe. And you got to breathe, too. And then, especially in the comedy club, you got to let... There's a there's a point where they collect the check money and stuff. It's a whole process to perform it in front of comedy club. They got this spot called the check spot. The check spot is usually a the time they drop the checks where... If you don't have the attention of everybody, you're definitely going to lose it because their attention is not on you anymore. It's like, oh, I, I I drunk. How much? And then once 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 you get to that point, you're not connected with them unless you rip into the check spot. If you're destroying, then people will be quick to want to pay. Like, okay, let me pay this and pay attention to the show. But if you're kind of going back and forth, then you get to that point. I've seen so many people die after
0: that spot. So when you know the check is about to be dropped – you got to have the punchlines and the heat at that moment to keep them from the distraction.
1: Exactly. And in the case with me, when I, when when the check's coming, if I'm not into like a, a, a bit that takes a while, I might do I might play around and do a little crowd work. What does or that mean? Crowd work. Like, yo, you. I mean, it's so corny, but like, you know, or any couples mm-hmm. here. Where I mean, that's so, you know, like. What do you uh, do? Where are you from? Yeah, yeah. That's so like, that's like, that, you know when a comic is gassed out, any birthdays in the house, <laughs> you know, but if it's like, I, you know. I might not want to do a joke that requires your undivided attention. You know, I might want to do like I might want to snap. I want to. I might
0: want to roast a little bit just to get the room settled in, and then go back to the storytelling part. I mean, the comics who are who are really impressive to me quite often have great transitions. Yeah, and I don't even realize when we flowed into a new joke, or I thought that he was gassed or whatever. But that's the that's he, that's the really
1: good. Like you have to, you, you get your jokes. You get your jokes. But then once you get your jokes, it's like, how do you sew it all together? And that's the biggest issue that some comics have. How do you make that transition from this joke to the next joke? And like you say, to make it seem seamless and make it seem like he never switched gears.
0: So how do you make a good transition?
1: I try to think ahead. You know, like if I'm in one joke, I'm I'm thinking about the next joke I'm going to do. Like most comics, when you're telling your joke, you're telling that joke. But then you're thinking about the next one and how you're going to get there. And you can tell people that don't, comments that don't think ahead because they'll tell a joke and it's like they get jammed up. And then the next thing you know, it's like, oh, what do you guys want to talk about? It's because you were only in that joke. When I'm telling a joke, I'm actually two jokes ahead. I'm like, okay, I need a word. I need a situation that makes the transition from this one to that one. And then while I'm in that one, I'm in, I'm going two jokes ahead. I'm just trying to figure out how am I going to tie them all in.
0: Wow, wow! How do you practice
1: on stage? But on stage and and I practice not intentionally, but I practice in regular conversation. Like when I first started doing comedy, when I couldn't get a lot of stages, I would call my friends at work, and I wouldn't tell them. <laughs> I wouldn't tell them I got this joke I want to try on you. I would just tell the story. And then this is when I knew that it, it was, it was the stamp of approval. When I told the story, I didn't qualify it by
0: saying this is a joke. What does eating healthy mean to you? Dot com slash slash On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alameen, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And they'd be like, oh, man, that's funny. You should put that on stage. I'm like, check. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you still do that? Yeah. I mean, in regular conversation, like when I first started, my conversation used to be so funny. Comedians used to be like, are you going to use that? Just a regular conversation. I'm like, yo, anything <laughs> that I say, I'm going to use it. You know, but my brain is triggered to be funny all the time. so. It's I'm always my ears, eyes and ears are always open for what the next joke is going to be.
0: As a parent of two kids, I'm constantly talking about brush your teeth and I've also got a wife who loves to brush her teeth. It's really important to her. I think she does it like 5 times a day. So it's a big deal in our house to get brushing your teeth right. And that's why we use Quip. It is the best toothbrush in the world. It's an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing the right amount of vibration to help you clean your teeth. It's got a built-in timer, That helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. It's got a subscription plan for your health, not for your convenience, although it is convenient as well, because it delivers a new brush head on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five dollars, including free shipping worldwide. It also comes with a mount that functions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel when you want to brush your teeth on the road and you've got to brush your teeth on the road. When you brush your teeth, it's like a new day has begun. You like invigorate your mouth and you feel like it's a new lease on the whole day and look oprah agrees with me it was on her o list it was one of time magazine's best inventions and it's the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the american dental association but really it's about oprah oprah loves this toothbrush which means it's probably the best toothbrush in the world so what more do we need to talk about there's over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers who use Quip every day. But again, as I said, Oprah loves it. So what more is there to talk about? Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash Tore, T-O-U-R-E, right now, you'll get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash That's G E T. Q U I P dot com slash Tore, T O U R E. Oprah's favorite toothbrush is available to you. It's called Quip. Get it now. What can you do as a comic now that you couldn't do, you know, like 10 years ago? Like, can you mark your growth in that way? Like, Jordan, you know, could do this when he was 30 that he couldn't do when he was 20. You know what
1: I mean? Um, I think. I don't know if this answers your question, but I think I have a stronger point of view on life. I think I have more life experiences. I don't think, I think there's things that you could do back in the day that you can't do now. I think it's more of that, certain words, certain topics. You know what I mean? I know this is tough to digest, and it's not like, and I know this could be like, people consider it. Like, um, I remember you could go on stage and just be like, it'd be a dude up front, like, look at this gay dude with them tight ass jeans on, right? right and it'll right. be like, ah, he crazy. But the minute you open that can of worms now, like you you gotta be prepared for people gonna come at you.
0: So you can't say anything. I mean it's stuff. like
1: certain things that you just you you just can't say them the way you could. Twenty-five years ago, you could go on stage and say, Look at that faggot. And I know that's going to be tough for the listeners even to hear me say that. And your audience would go crazy. But if you said that word now, you can best believe that they're coming at you on Twitter, social media, they're protesting, they're going to go crazy. You know, like it's a really, really, it's a really, really sensitive time for comedy. And I think that's unfair because comedy comedians are the last of the, truth tellers
0: yeah I remember when I was on MSNBC there was a big debate about uh rape jokes and we had Susie Essman on the show uh-huh. and I was like well you know rape jokes are never funny and she was like bullshit rape right. jokes can be hysterical it's just the way that you do it I tell it's the way you do it like a
1: question I asked on my show comedians is a phrase comedians are, uh, the new phrase too soon somebody said Donna do you think a joke could be too soon I said you know I think a joke can be too soon, but as a comic, I don't think it could be too soon for a funny observation. Mm-hmm. The next thing I say is Vegas. When I say Vegas, people are like, oh, my God, you can't talk about the tragedy in Vegas. Mm-hmm. There was nothing funny about that. Right. I watched it the day before. I didn't think anything of it. I, was, I thought military SWAT team or somebody's going to come. They was going to get them. It was going to be over. Went to sleep. I woke up the next morning. Greatest tragedy in U.S. history, and I was watching the videos on, on on CNN I'm watching the pictures on social media I'm seeing people running for their lives I'm seeing people scared shitless and in that moment I said to myself white people really love beer <laughs> because in every shot there was always a white dude holding the
0: beer holding the beer
1: shots ringing bop 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 holy fuck not today Don't these are IPAs the they're jumping over bodies. They're like, "Whoa, this is 19 percent alcohol content, not today." Locally brewed, and that's a perfect example. And that's one of the riskiest stories I tell because I have the audience, that, and I and I do this joke right in, right where I got the crowd going crazy, and then it slows down to like, "Oh my God, Donnell, I'm a fan, you're about to lose me," and then that's a perfect example. There's nothing funny about the incident in Vegas but that observation is funny like yeah yelled, like Dwight boys won't spill a drop of beer <laughs> and it wasn't like it was a corner it was fresh beers <laughs> they still had the brim on it what's that thing called the um
0: yeah, the yeah the on the it. they had the and it was
1: like 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 human levers man they move left right and not a drop of beer
0: spill but a, it's a, only certain comics that can pull that out and find it it's a great joke and it doesn't it doesn't take. It doesn't make fun of what happened in Vegas. No, but the stakes are heightened. Oh, I'm like, talking see, about there because if you're just talking about like I was at Coachella and, I, and they were well, that, they don't mean nothing.
1: And for me, those are the most challenging jokes. The, for me, the joke that every time you do it, you have a weird feeling in your stomach, and like you don't know it. what's it. Not afraid, but you don't know how what how people are going to perceive it. I did that joke. I was working with Monique in um in uh in Dallas recently and I did that joke and that joke has been like right at the part when I hit that part it's been killing but this time it was just like I was like I've never been in a situation where the second part of it didn't work so I had to rush to the second part of the joke a lot quicker because they wasn't feeling me they still wasn't feeling me so I, this is another part of what I did. I was like, you got to get to this part quick or this your set is going to be. There, were, I, I felt myself getting to a point where I would not be able to recover.
0: I love too soon jokes, and usually I keep them to myself because they are too but soon. But see,
1: that's the difference between you, and I'm telling you, I'm going to brand that. You keep. This is the thing about too soon jokes. Whenever you hear too soon jokes, people say oh uh, man that was too soon but they laugh their ass off they're,
0: they are gonna they laugh but they feel ashamed to laugh but it's what it's that moment when you really are interacting with the culture and interacting with the zeitgeist and you understand this is funny but most people are not ready to hear it yet but i know you will be in a way wi- you know like- No,
1: no 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 <laughs> i don't think it's too soon i think it's too late
0: <laughs> by that point you know, by, i'm late. telling
1: you by time you're like you like okay let me give it this little period blah, 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 blah. guess what by the time you get comfortable where it's not too soon everybody has done it
0: and the air is out of and you
1: way. gotta and that's what challenges you you got certain type of comics man you got ones that
0: couldn't take the chance deal with the consequences so you talk about the truth teller that's what you're getting at here like yeah. like comics get a certain space in society right like you guys are different. You can say shit that nobody else would say. But people are
1: starting to be critical, critical of it now. And it used to be that way. But now with every movement movement out there, with anything that you have to say, anything you say, you have to apologize. You have to apologize.
0: Of black comics, right? And you know you know the history as well as anybody of, right. of, of saying things that were important. You know, go back to Dick Gregory. Chappelle has done it. I mean, you know, even Cosby Pryor. You know, Moms Mabley. You know who else have have said like political truth telling things? That is there room in modern society for black comics to still have that role? Of course, it passed.
1: It is, but everybody don't have the heart and the balls to do it. Everybody that you just mentioned aren't just average comics, right? You're talking about legends, pioneers. You're talking about the people that. For every Dick Gregory, there's a hundred people that didn't have the balls. They might have thought on the same level, but they weren't willing to risk everything. Like one of the things, I think I'm a great comic. I think Dave Chappelle is a great comic, and I walk, wait, watch Dave Chappelle night after night, and I see how he rips a room. And a comic, it's not no competition. And I was, and I say to myself, what makes Dave Chappelle different from me? You have to ask yourself these questions if you want to get better. And I and I and the conclusion I came to was that not everyone has I call it a Muhammad Ali moment, and a Muhammad Ali moment is a moment in your career where you had to make a decision that could cost you a lot. It could cost you money. Mm-hmm. It could cost you a career. Mm-hmm. It could cost you. It could cost you endorsements. It could cost you a lot of things. You know, Colin Kaepernick had a Muhammad Ali moment. Muhammad Ali, not going to Vietnam. Muhammad Ali moment. Dave Chappelle turning away $50 million, which I would have never did in a million years. I was like, we got to talk this out. <laughs> I'd be like, this is, yo, somebody talking shit, you're fired, you fired, and you're fired, you know? And like, certain, you know, but then again, Dave Chappelle could afford to make that stance because, you know, you know, you got to even with every entertainer, like people say, Donnell, when are you going to flip off? When are you going to go crazy? I'm like, I talked to my accountant the other day, right? He said, Donnell, you can't really afford to go crazy. <laughs> He said, "You could like trip out for a couple days, but are all out, just like <laughs> I'm going to leave. South, you can't go to South, nah, South Africa. I can't go to South Africa. He was like, you could take a journey to the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? But you can't go. You can't go to South. Africa. Come on, you
0: were you were there. You were the, you were standing elbow to elbow with Dave yeah. through those final days, those final weeks. Yeah. You were saying you wouldn't have made. I mean, first of all, we, you and I, have had this discussion before, uh-huh. but for this show." What is the reason why this all happened, why Chappelle's show exploded? But he um it it ex-
1: the I don't know why you mean imploded.
0: Why, why did he yes, why did he leave? Nobody
1: to be quite honest, nobody knows, and I'm being straight with you, nobody knows the answer to that. People been trying to get that out of me for years. And even throughout the whole thing, I never asked Dave why. You know what I'm saying? And the thing about it, and that's just I think that kinda contribute to the to the mystery of Dave Chappelle. It's an unanswered situation, and then when it's unanswered, then you
0: let people people come up with their own theories. But what about his whole thing about the wrong person laughing? We That's can, what I've,
1: I've never, I never, I'm, 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 I never talked to him about that, and I could, um, you know, I can't really speak for him, but I could see how that could have upset some people. Yeah. But I know how it wouldn't have upset upset me. <laughs> yeah. And Any, I, yo, I'm telling you, I like this. It would have been easier for me, especially with that money. Like, and, and I'm saying this because. It's easier. The person that felt that way, it's easy for me to say, "You're fired." But see, I wouldn't been. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been thinking long term. I'm like this. How do I secure my bag right now? I don't want to. <laughs> how do I secure that? But <laughs> a long term, then it's deeper than that. It then it's deeper to like the materials that that's being written. What are people actually laughing at? I never felt that. In fact, when we were doing the sketches always thought sometimes we was like like walking walking on edge, but it would always be something that was a twist that buttoned it all up and made it made sense at the end. Um
0: What was your favorite sketch out of that period?
1: My favorite sketch out of that period and I was only 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 on that sketch for a second, it was the Wayne Brady sketch. <laughs> but because it, and the reason why because the dynamic It got blown of, away. <laughs> it got blown. the reason why because the dynamic of it and how this sketch even came about, um they did I think Paul Moody did Negro Domus or something. Yeah. And then he said something like Wayne Brady looks. Um, Makes
0: um, Brian Gumble Looks
1: like look- Malcolm X. <laughs> and that happened. And before that, Wayne Brady was a huge fan of the show. And then it got back to day some kind of way that Wayne Brady was really offended by it. And I know after I got to know Wayne Brady and up to this point, and I know why Wayne Brady was offended by it because Wayne Brady came from nothing. Like a lot of people. But they don't understand that because he has diction because he speaks well. <laughs> when a brother got diction, they the first they didn't want to say, oh, he's trying family. to talk all. And Wayne Brady, grandmother raised him. He'd been through it. You know what I'm saying? He'd been through it. And I even tweeted something the other day. Name someone that has the tenure in television as Wayne Brady. I'll wait. I was like, this brother's been putting it down for years and staying out of the bullshit. This is a true example of what Hollywood should be. Right. You know, and he tweeted back. He was like, "Brother, that thank you so much. That really made my night." And that was just, and it wasn't like I wasn't trying to kiss his ass or anything. I was watching who's on is it <clears throat> anyway. I was like, "This motherfucker stay on TV, stay out of trouble." And I just thought it was my duty to acknowledge that because you acknowledge so many people who want your word, son. All you know, like the would you think is gangster and everything, but he's gangster, and I can see how that offended him. He's like, "Dude, I'm no different from none of y'all." And Dave having a hardy, he, he had. He was fucked up about it.
0: Dave was upset that Wayne was upset.
1: Yeah. You know, Dave is one of the coolest people you'll ever meet, man. Humble dude and cares about everybody, man, in some kind of way. You know, he might say, fuck Faison. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) No, I said, fuck Faison. (laughs) And I mean it. (laughs) Don't edit that shit. (laughs) Please don't edit that. How are you going to say what was funny about the first season of Chappelle's show? The white, black, blind supremacy sketch was the sketch that set the world on fire True. to say what the hell is going on next week. True. What was so iconic about the first year? I don't know if you remember this, but part of the reparations sketch, I'm rich, bitch, became a <laughs> phrase that's getting people to come to my shows for the last 14 years. What was funny about the first see the, I just had to get that out of my system please bring it what the fuck I just had to I had to get out of my system but um Dave wanted uh Wayne Brady to be in that sketch and that sketch was so dope cuz I think the one thing that
0: so it was it was Dave's idea yeah. are you mad let's do something together and figure this yeah, out yeah let's
1: figure it out yeah but the thing about it that I think Wayne Wayne Brady didn't have the street cred. and I'm not saying this necessary that you have it but you know, as a black entertainer, whatever you feel good knowing that you can make everybody laugh—from the people, the politicians, to that dude in Brooklyn, Brownsville, to do with the do rag you want—you feel good. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm sure that, and the reason why I like that sketch so much because it was dark. It was a dark sketch, spoof on Training Day. It was dark. You didn't know where the comedy was coming from, and then it took Wayne Brady out of a situation you normally used to see him in. And it really lets you know what his acting chops was really about. Because he was menacing. He was dark. He didn't feel like he was about to sing a country song or anything. He felt like he was about to shoot me. You know, and that one shot when he was like, um, when he came up to me and I was like, oh, shit, it's Wayne Brady, son. <laughs> and that look on his face and that mm-hmm. one sketch really kind of like, it gave uh, Wayne Brady, that's street cred, and, and people got to see. Neil
0: Brennan told me that the line everybody remembers
1: um, is Wayne Brady gonna have to choke a bitch. But the funny <laughs> he thing, he didn't want to say it. He did. He, he gave us every option. Like, okay, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Uh, okay, he, Wayne Brady talks just like my brother, who went to Brown University at Georgetown Law, and one of the coolest dudes He said, uh, "Is Wayne Brady gonna have to um, uh, smack someone?" it was like it was like eh. it's gonna have to be like it's Wayne Brady gonna have to smack a bitch and it's so funny when I was doing that show that show was so dope for me because when the show was new we didn't have no big time casting agent I used to be I used to call myself the second casting agent because anytime they needed somebody extra, like we need some homeboys in the background I was like I got some homeboys that could be in the background we need some bitches for the strip club i like I know some bitches for the strip club <laughs> Right. In fact the girl who played that one line, she said that one line she said, Hi Dave, I like your new show. Her name was Pearl. She was a friend of mine. She was kind of my comedy shows. And she was in the adult <laughs> entertainment, right? And the the actresses was so mad at her because like when they, for that scene, they had that scene the scene for that like when they had the chicks walking a prostitute stroll. Right. All the real actresses, when the scene they was like cut they was putting robes on to the cover themselves, not Pearl. <laughs> She was like, I'm in my outfit, all the grips. Everybody was like, we like what Donnell cast. And she went, and I know, especially in the Me Too stage that we're in right now, I know she, she used that thong in her advantage. And she went from background to a to a, a, a U5, you know, under five. She had a speaking role. Yeah. And for a chick that was an exotic dancer to have a speaking role on Chappelle's show, she blew up in the strip club scene. <laughs> it was like, she, yo, she's, she's a, a car me. meeting. She's a car meeting. She's like this. These bitches hating on me because I be on TV. <laughs> I'm like that was one shot.
0: So you, you, you have now. You have front row seat to Dave and his genius. What he's doing. What makes him so great as a stand up now? That his is it true? Is it's true voice? Like when you listen to Dave, like
1: you can look like his pace. The last four, he did four specials in a year incredible the last the last one he did and the one that he was proudest of the most and he went like i went to listen to it one once and like all night all he kept saying was it's gonna go it's gonna go and i was like it's funny it's funny it's funny but that's a dope feeling when you kind of you you you, you don't know you know what i'm saying you know this is your voice but how would people take it people are so sensitive whatever but when you hear him talk it's not a dude that's trying to be funny it's a person that's just funny, and their and their and their 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 observation of life is funny. And I told Dave, I said, Dave, you don't even have to be. People seeing you being funny so much, you don't even have to be funny no more. I said, people would pay just to hear you talk. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, just to hear you talk no, because there's some depth to it. It's some, I mean, it's reality.
0: But he in these in these Netflix specials, he he weaves this into. You know, an hour long story with all kinds of weaving and wet. I mean, the one with the, the 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 Hollywood pitch that becomes the Bill Cosby joke. He rapes, but he saves, but, but he, he raves, still but rapes. He, yeah, I mean, it's, but those it's like, a thirty minute
1: joke. It's a thirty minute joke, and it's something that that'll stick with you. You know, and like I, and and this Dave is a huge, huge fan of mine. We were, we were on a road. Emmer, we were in, we were doing a Tabernacle Theater in Atlanta, and he told me he said, "Donnell, if you get another standing ovation, you're fired." <laughs> so that was our inside joke. But we DC Comics. and DC comedy, we're all about pushing each other. You know, and who wants to work with somebody that don't bring heat to them every night? You mm-hmm. know, and some people would, but it's not gonna make you better. And we both we both make each other better.
0: Who? Wait a minute. How does he make you better beyond the pressure you're just talking about? How does he make you better?
1: He makes me better with like like how he's sometimes he makes me want to be smarter. You know what I'm saying? Like like his comedy is real smart. You know what I'm saying? It's like and like even like sometimes like I'm like high energy and sometimes like when I I don't want I don't want to emulate him, but I'm like sometimes just take a, a deep breath, you know, to pace off so people can really hear what you're saying. You know, and then he makes me want to be better because this dude turns over material so fast. You know, what I'm saying you on a roll with Dave, and the same thing working with me. If you're a person and you you, you you're on a roll with me, you can run the same material for two years. You're not gonna feel comfortable, and why you're not gonna feel comfortable? You're gonna see the person, you're gonna see me continue to write new stuff. And if that doesn't challenge you to want to step your game
0: up, I don't know what will. When you talk about Dave's intelligence as a comedian, you know, and like. Larry Wilmore is also a smart comedian and I feel like he went to Harvard and I love Larry, you know. But Dave is smart, but it's still it's life
1: cuz Dave yeah. didn't go to college. I've asked him one time I was like, "Damn, son." And he can have a conversation any subject with anybody.
0: Yeah.
1: And you would think like he went to Harvard. You would think he went to Georgetown law or something like that, but it's not that. That's just life.
0: Who's your top 5 stand-ups all time?
1: Um I would consider myself number 5. Okay. I would say uh Richard Pryor as bill Cosby
0: Pryor as 1 or 4.
1: Um I would say Richard Pryor is 1.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I would say uh Bill Cosby at 2. I would say uh Dave Chappelle at 3. Okay. And, and George Carlin at 4 and me at 5. Okay. I think those those will be, those are my top five. But I appreciate so many other so comments for different reasons. Does
0: that mean Rock is at six? Huh? That,
1: yeah, oh, Rock could be six.
0: So what makes Pryor
1: so great? Because he was cutting edge. He was he came at a time. He came at a time like you know, Richard Pryor had so much of Bill Cosby in him when he first started. Right. You know, he was like, I guess he was like trying to be Bill Cosby, but his voice was so raw. It was so authentic. It was so. It was so gritty. It was his, so real life. You know, I'm he he saying to tell these great stories and great story. Then he had one of those, and then it's okay. something like his off stage antics and stuff just made him just an
0: interesting person. I mean, I remember listening to Live on the Sunset Strip and like just just the stories about being in the hospital and Jim Brown coming and we're gonna put the sponge on you. Yeah, you know what people sponge. don't people don't
1: understand? Richard Pryor. They they say he was five mouth. Richard Pryor didn't really curse. The characters the characters that he talked about were profane. Mm. He wasn't. If you really listen to it, it was like mudboning those guys, those people cursed, but it wasn't like he was filled with profanity like that. His life was those are the people that he talked about. And it's hard to talk about those people, paint the picture without being having their honest voice.
0: There's definitely people who use cursing too much, way too much. Can you can you do a funny hour without cursing? Yep. And I've challenged. And I, my thing is
1: like, like I'll, I'll perform for my audience. You know what I'm saying? If I'm at, if at a church event, I know I can't go hard. If I'm at like like some ghetto spot, where that's what they want, it's what it is. That's what it is. But I can do. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, I don't like my. I don't use profanity as. Punch lines. i use it because that's how i talk sometimes
0: that's a spice it's a
1: spice of it but it's not the if i, I if i know if i if my daily life if i took profanity out of my daily life
0: that i could i wouldn't curse but like let's like 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 if you just said i'm rich it's not as funny as i'm rich biatch
1: yeah because you've heard it like that but it's not No, it's like yeah it's got to be biatch
0: <laughs> that one needs it a- <laughs> no
1: the funny thing about it a lot of people don't know that almost didn't We were shooting that sketch in Harlem on like one sixteenth and we didn't have a budget, so we couldn't do like big time Hollywood production where they blocked the whole street off. So I had to drive this truck. I didn't even have a license at the time. They was like, you got a license? (laughs) What I'm gonna say, no, and not being the same. I was like, you know, police checking me, right? (laughs) So I had to drive the truck, I had to hit the mark, not run over the reporter, not run the light, take the keys out because you couldn't have the engine running because it'd blow the sound. And I had to do all these, hit the mark, hit all these cues and deliver the line. And I kept messing the lineup. And Neil Brennan, it was close to the end of the day, he was like, yo, B, you're going to have to get this right or we just going to scratch it. And it was out of frustration. I was like, because I couldn't afford not to be in the sketch. And I was like, I'm bitch! <laughs> and it was like, that's the one. It was all out of frustration. I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, I cannot lose this opportunity. And that's what it was. This what? I could not lose the opportunity the opp- to be on the sketch. Because nobody was a cast member of the show. It was you only, you were only as good as your last sketch. If you made people laugh in the last sketch and the writers had you in mind, the best thing to do, leave an impression on them. So when the writers write, oh yeah, we can have Donnell. It was not, it was never like you have to give Donnell this skit because he's a cash. It was like, if you're funny, you come back.
0: You keep fighting it every day. What drives you?
1: Now, what, what drives me was being the best person I could be. But now, with the sun, now what drives me now is to try to create the best lifestyle I can for him. And give him the best opportunities and give him some opportunities that I didn't have when I was younger. And just being a super dad. I mean, I keep hearing about comics are depressed. Are you depressed? I'm not depressed. Are you sad? At times, we we, we find a dark place. Sometimes you think that your career should be in places that it's not. You know what I'm saying? And you got to shake that off because you never know. People always say, they call me Donna, you're one of the most underrated comics. I was like, that depends on who's gauging me. And who's judging me? I was like, the only person can judge me is God, so how could I ever be underrated?
0: Are most comics
1: depressed? Yeah, it's a dark... Think about this job, man. It's almost like being a clown at a circus. Clowns, you think that they're excited every day. If you wipe the, <laughs> the face paint off of a clown, he you wouldn't even know he's a clown. It's right. like you got to force the laugh. And then for, for us, it's like people come to you for shows. A lot of times people are in a dark place. It's your job to, you know you know, to perform for them. But there are a lot of comedies that are that are dark. Take it too serious.
0: I mean I feel like I've known people who wanted pain because it was better for comedy and just the reason why they went into comedy is because they were in pain from their normal life. Some
1: people that some people that it's comedy is definitely as a performance is therapy for you. I've always like I still have fun doing it. It never feels like work to me. I've still have fun doing it, so I don't know that dark side of it, and I really feel blessed. <clears throat> and I know this is more so when I'm walking down the street and I see guys working construction, 16-, 17-hour days, and I see all the work, and I'm not knocking it because I would have been that if I wouldn't have been doing this. I don't knock about I'm like, you know, it's something to be said. Like, I really have an opportunity to make a good living doing something. I really like doing it. It's never – when we were doing Chappelle's show, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to get paid today. You know, like it just felt it just felt good and I really enjoyed it. And there's no better feeling for me, when people come to my show, you have people that wanna laugh and then you have those people that need a laugh. And when I do shows and at the end of the show, someone comes to me and tell me, I lost my aunt maybe three weeks ago. I didn't know next time I was gonna go out. But today, I really needed to laugh. And I think that's what I'm here for,
0: to help people when they need laugh. I mean, you put it that way, it's an incredibly important job. It is. I mean, society needs that.
1: And we need society with a funny bone. Can you imagine if the world all of a sudden it was a a peel or a mist or a spray or something that just nobody's ever, nobody laughs anymore? Your funny bone is God, comedian. You'll see me applying for different I'm going to sell insurance now. <laughs> you know, so as much as they need us, we need them too because it's therapeutic for us. That's how we feel good.
0: Um, were
1: you funny as a kid? Yep. I was always funny. In fact, anybody that I grew up with, nobody is surprised what I do for a living. It's not like, you know, you, you hear some stories like, when did he get funny? Like, everybody, when I grew up, it was like, everybody's like, yo, you funny. you funny. I never thought it would be what I did for a living. But when I was growing up, everybody thought I was, I was always class clown. I was the funniest guy. Everybody knows a story in a neighborhood, but it's only one person you want to hear tell a story. The you know what I'm saying? Guy. It's like, yeah, yeah but you're going to mess it up. But You know, it's like, I was like, well, they
0: say the difference is that the class clown makes the class laugh and the future comic makes the teacher laugh. So I you, made them both laugh. You made the teacher laugh too?
1: I I went even graduating high school, I think I was one, two credits for what? I don't know. I, didn't, I know I probably wasn't supposed to graduate then. <laughs> but my British literature teacher, she had my fate in her hand off this fine, one final exam. It came down to one final exam for me. <laughs> Right. So we were uh in the auditorium practicing the walk and everything, and I went up to her, I pulled it, I said, I said, Did I pass it? She said, No, Donnell. She said, But I passed you anyway. Cause she knew that that wasn't it wasn't who I was gonna be. You know what I'm saying? Getting the A in British literature. It wasn't gonna be my future. She knew the future was me being an entertainer. And being that funny guy. And I know she hoped that I went into that. And I know she looks at my career, the things I'm doing now, and I said, I'm glad I passed that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I didn't need to see him for another year.
0: I mean, part of it for you is the voice. I mean, People just say, the sound of your voice is just kind of funny. And I feel like you could have... You know, if you were a little different, you could have gone into into rhyming with that voice because it's just an interesting sounding voice. If I could but catch a flow. If you, if you, people always just... saying,
1: you say, you but I'm so horrible. but every time I'm with my friends and they start getting into their cypher, I choke up. I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> Me and Dave Ramsey, we went to a, a private party. Like when I say private, with Jay-Z and Beyonce and like about 12 other people.
0: This is where Beyonce got bit? I don't
1: know if she got bit. I don't know what you're talking. (laughs) You you was there? I didn't go to bite fest. You know what happened? I wasn't at bite fest. I wasn't at bite fest. This was after bite fest, but and we were just there kicking it. And Jay had the mic, and I was sitting over there and people laughing. And he put some beat was on. He put the mic in my face like I was about to spit. I was like, no, I think I'm gonna get me another drink, bro. (laughs) I am not messing with that. But
0: the sound of the voice does matter a lot, right? It helps you a lot.
1: It does, and I have a. People say it's a distinct voice. Like, yeah. So sometimes I go to places and I'm, I'm talking, people like, they think they recognize me. Then it oh, was yeah. like, and then when you start talking, like, I knew exactly what it was. And it's a
0: very black sound
1: African American. Yeah. yeah. It's been, Yo, motherfucker. No, it's a very black sound. My name is a very black sounding name. Oh, hell I've yeah. never had an intro where when you say coming to the stage, Donnell, you thought it was going to be a white dude from the Midwest. <laughs> You always knew it was going to be somebody that's like, is he going to have a fitted or a do See, I, I, I,
0: I envy you because the way I talk throughout my life, people have been like, oh, you sound like a white boy. Right. You know, I get on the phone and maybe they think, oh, I thought you were this white guy like right. that. And, and and your voice, there's no question. There's no question. like, I don't know how I should take
1: the fuck what the fuck you just said. <laughs> your voice has got way more Negro in it than me yeah Donnell. no
0: doubt no doubt Are we yeah. black I want to yeah show you just blacker did no doubt about. it
1: still didn't sound right that's exactly what I'm saying because what... you can't say no doubt and exactly after it you can say no doubt son no doubt I got son that, uh, at the end so you're right I gotta agree with that yeah. Donnell the blackest voice in comedy <laughs> hey Donnell you just know that's gonna be a brother you just know it's gonna be a brother
0: who was the when you were coming up in D.C. Who was the comic who you looked at or gave you that advice that it said, ah, now I understand, now I can move to the next level? Well,
1: the comic that I looked I looked at, like, I could go, t- I wanted to, t- really inspire me to really want to do it was Martin Lawrence. Because wow. Martin Lawrence, I remember I was in a bed with this chicken in DC. <laughs> right? It's always a good start to it's the story. Precise. So I'm with this bitch in a bed. No, I'm joking. I'm with this girl in a bed. And HBO, this one, the HBO specials were bigger than anything. And a dude, I didn't know who he was, and Martin Lawrence came out. He said, give it up for Martin Lawrence. And Martin Lawrence said, give it up for a brother making money the right way. <laughs> he said, when you making money the right way, you can tell your lady shit like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and dad shut up too. He said, dad be like, you so crazy. And when I heard that, I was up in the bed like, who is this dude? And his style was it was so gritty. It was so hood. It was so funny. It was animated. It was likable. You know, Martin Lawrence could dog you out and didn't make you feel good at the same time. You know, like when he roasted you, he didn't make you want to fight him. And then he was like, "Oh man, just leave me alone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." But he inspired me to want to have that, that, that like that that edge that like regular person just has enough balls to go up there and perform. When I first started, Tony Woods. um... Tony Woods is a DC legend. Tony Woods hasn't got a lot of like success, like television or film, but he was just one of those dudes that all the comics looked up to coming up. He was the first one. When I first made my transition from DC to New York, when, when I was in DC, all I would do was black comedy clubs. And I wanted to do mainstream comedy rooms. And when I started doing them, I would always go up there and be like, yeah, I'm black and blah, blah, blah. And everything was black, black. And Tony told me, he said, yo, you do know when you go on stage, everybody know you're black. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He said, all you got to do is be funny. And he was a, that was like a light bulb when I don't have to, because I wasn't, when you're not used to it, and you just come from the chilling circuit and just black clubs, I guarantee you, you take any black comic in America, that all they do is black comedy clubs, and you put them in front of an all white comedy room, that same comic that used to do an hour worth of material only has 15 minutes worth of material. Mm. Mm. You know, it's unfortunate, but you, what are you going to tell a person that's, you still got that base in the black community. You can still make money. Like, what's the need for me to do mainstream? But if you want that broad appeal and want everybody to appreciate your comedy, at some point you have to be comfortable performing for anybody.
0: And and partly too, it sounds like you were kind of partly trying to prove yourself to the audience. And when you stopped proving yourself, trying to prove yourself, and just do you, that's better. That's funnier. It's more yeah, that's effective. when it started.
1: To, that's when it started to come together. That's when I didn't sound like a hack comic a hack comic like black people white people the same but they do stuff different you Uh, know white people do blah 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 blah. i mean how many different ways are you gonna do that it's the same thing and just
0: so easy yeah no it was years of comic view of everything white people do this black people do this and uh, i'm so bored of that that was just that that, that was just it
1: that's the hacks and those people not working anymore the
0: joke you said that martin said dave just did that right Right. what uh you know jay-z got shut up money and beyonce got no you shut the Who fuck did that up joke? Money. that only person I ever heard somebody else did it no dave got that and what uh he said jay-z got shut the no, fuck up said, money. Said, I and I don't beyonce money. got no, I I say, you, shut no you shut the fuck
1: up yeah that's a dope joke that's a dope joke. Fine joke
0: what are your goals and dreams for the next five years
1: I don't have dreams. I'm too old for dreams. If I'm dreaming now, I'm fucked up. At my age I still got dreams and I don't have realities. I'm I'm screwed up. My goal is to right now and I you know, I don't want to overstate it but my goal is just to be the dopest dad I could be and give my son the best experiences. My I want him to be one thing about me having a son, it's like I get to start over. Yeah. He looks way better than me.
0: Way better than me. But you get to see the world through his eyes right. and that rejuvenates you. And that's
1: my like I'm just my, my my focus now is to just to set him up for the rest of So, his
0: we, life. so we so being a great dad <sighs> beside providing, which you're already doing and dads always think about that. When you're with him, you're not earning, you're not providing, right? You're you're being with him. So yes. what what is being a great dad to you outside of providing being a great
1: dime being a great dad is spending time and making memories. Spending time making memories, and I always like this was, being a dad was new to me, and I was like, "How do I do this? I don't have. There's no book. There's nothing to play. I was like, "I know. This is my th- thought. If I, if I try to be better than my dad, and make my son better than me, I think that that's the, the math to being a good dad. Be better
0: than your dad. That's so sad. That's it." From where I'm from? I mean, but there's I mean, are there principles? Is there a sort of man you want him to be? I just want
1: him to have character. I just want to have character. I I I want him to understand that anything you have in life you have to work work for. I want him to be respectful to elders. You know what I'm saying? I want to want him to know what are the things that you need to value in life. But it's something you said that's it. But it's not that's that's a from where I'm from, that's a great start.
0: I know it seems so sad. It's so sad, but that's it's the reality. But that's like some children of the lesser god shit it's, like that but, like I'm just he he remembers me twice like yeah. Like, but oh. but
1: but I know that it's sad and it's small, but again, where I'm from that's the first step. Yeah. That's the first step. There's no way around it. You got to you, you I I know from where I'm from it's generations and generations and generations of the same person, of the same dad, as the same person that weren't wasn't in their kids' life. And I understand, like you might have a different background to mine, but my background is being better than my father is a big step of being better. Me being better than my father is a big being a is a big step for me being better for my son. Because number one, I gotta be there for him. Being better than my dad, don't go to jail. Don't do this seven-year bid. Don't miss high school graduation. Don't miss don't miss these opportunities. So again, going back and I and I have to make that point. For some people, that's the norm. Some people's normal for them to have two parent households. You know what I'm saying? We used to make fun. Go ahead, nigga. You got your mother and your father living in the same spot, you old fly. You know what I'm saying? But that's my background. And then that's my background. If I'm different from that and I instill that into my son, then, he, then when his definition of being better than his dad, it, it, it grows. It's yes. a different thing. You yes. know what I'm saying? But it takes time.
0: No, it does. It does. Um, does he find you funny? My dad? No, no.
1: No, my son? Yeah. He thinks I'm funny. But he's the only person that's ever said to me, I'm funnier than you. <laughs> he knows. He knows, he knows oh. I'm funny because he sees stuff on television, and I show him videos. And I bought him a karaoke mic. I'm not trying to push him into comedy, but he's going to be familiar with what I do. There's no way around. Sure. It. I bought him a karaoke mic with a little speaker, and whenever he grabs it, I just laugh for no reason because I wanted him to get a sense of comedic timing. Whenever he grabs the microphone, he knows that somebody's going to laugh, and he has to do something to make him laugh. So at two, he was just not really saying too much other than, "ga gah, gah, gah ah. And then I would laugh, and then he like, he, 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 I'm funny. He knows I'm funny. He's watched me at shows, and he, like, I brought him on stage at DC Improv, Thanksgiving weekend. First time I brought him on stage, he couldn't walk, I just carried him. Second time, and I carried him, and I put the mic to his mouth, and he just said, ah. And people started laughing, and I was like, I got to get him out of here. I'm not going to be able to follow my son. <laughs> <laughs> so the next year, he was able to walk, and I thought that, um. He would be nervous the first time he was ever on stage with me. So I'm on stage and he's backstage. I was like, Austin, come out here. And then he walked out and I thought he was going to get nervous. He looked at the audience and everybody was clapping. You know, most kids probably would have ran away. He came directly toward me. I picked him, I grabbed the mic and he made a couple of sounds and he got laughed in. but he's definitely going to be comfortable around the stage and the microphone. Not going to encourage him to do it, but whatever he decides to do, whether it's doctor, lawyer, he's going to have to be the funniest doctor, the funniest lawyer, the funniest account, the funniest whatever.
0: Thanks to you for listening. This is Toray Show. We're here to give you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and I hope this show can help you with that. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps a lot. Talk about it on your socials. Torre Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by Chris Basil, with help from Shelby Royston, William Jolly, Candid Nicole, Cadence 13 Studios, and photographs from Chuck Marcus. The man can't shut us down.